Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello and welcome to Rock and Roll on a pretty hectic Lions week. Uh, no Ryan with me this week. Rumours he'd been drafted into Warren, by Warren Gatland to shore up the issues at the scrum, sadly unfounded. And he's just teaching kids how to twat cricket balls around the southeast of England. So I've got two distinguished guests with me instead. So first up, a man who joined us on our first ever episode of the podcast. And since gone and got himself itched. So from the Roker Report, our blushing bridegroom, Tom Albright. Oh, oh, I fucked up the day. Tom yeah, Albright is with us. All right, <laughs> how's it Tom. going? How's it going, boys? Yeah, it's not too bad. And our second guest, the rugby analyst, whiteboard rugby host, rugby world right there. And a man I would say I didn't see enough of, but then after Dodmaster, I've seen far too much of him. Sam Larnes, how are you doing, Sam? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. It was great to have you both on. Two people that were asked if I had on, I was like, well, we'll get you back on, we'll get you back on. It's taken until now to get you on, yeah. So that's all I had to do was get rid of Wally for a week, and I've got you both on together. Tom, I missed the start of the Lions game this week because I was in Durham, stuck in a bar without Sky Sports, tried to get her on my phone, and two people had logged into my now TV already. So... Scumbags. Yeah, I, was, I spent... <laughs> I missed the start, so I was a bit disappointed, but I know... Not as disappointed to miss something as like maybe a call at a wedding that you've had recently. Yeah, so uh, it was it was got married in Northern Ireland, Belfast, and obviously Belfast is like this tiny bubble where if you don't know somebody who knows somebody famous, is they know somebody who knows somebody famous, and uh, I was there with a with a good friend of mine who is also a Leeds fan like yourself. And he got speaking to one of the other guests who turns out was good friends with Stuart Dallas. So you called bullshit on that. You're not mates with Stuart Dallas. I don't believe you. And about five minutes later, Stuart Dallas is in there FaceTiming into the wedding. And I don't know where I was, to be honest. I was probably doing something not as important. 
as I think you said to me you'd, on the Stuart Dallas. So you'd nip to the toilet, nice. didn't you? <laughs> I could have well nipped to the toilet. I then saying, I know I've got this Leeds fan coming up going, This is the best wedding I've ever been to. Best wedding. I was like, Fucking hell, Dan, it's not that good, you know. It's, it's kind, but it's not that good. It's not that good. And he was going, No, I've spoken to Stuart Dallas. I was like, Why is he staying in the hotel? He fucking ran his own face tight. He's absolutely over the knock, bless him. So, so I had fucking celebrities phoning in at my wedding and I was like just having a piss. Well, Reese Evans walked through the middle of, of my wedding. We were in, in St. David's. Oh, yeah. I would have thought taking a Reese Evans. Is this probably the eye, the eye point of the Not marriage? down the aisle. <laughs> no, no. It was, it was the eye point of my marriage, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wandered through in the middle of us taking photos and then was shouted into the receptionist. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a bizarre one. Uh, Sam, uh, you've had a, an interesting time as well. You had a little bit of a breakaway and then uh, a little bit of an incident that you put on Twitter with a tick. I did. I did. I uh, I was up in Scotland uh, and uh, I was a bit annoyed at if anyone, any Scottish uh, listeners know it, which is a, um, it's part of the mainland, but it's inaccessible by those. Um, so I went there and then uh, took a shortcut uh, along the coast through some through some blacking ferns um and then uh i i've been told about ticks but couldn't 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 see anything so um got back home and um the next morning my mum said oh um someone found a tick on them yesterday so i thought i'll, I'll take a double check of what's on there so i got a couple on my leg which i managed to pluck off and then um i thought well that's that because that was that was all that was on show uh and then went to the uh went to the toilet and as i was going my brother said to me oh um you might just want to check because they crawl up so uh they, they not necessarily don't just necessarily stay where they land um and uh i uh i get tick in my in my balls so um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was a I had to deal with that um so that was a little bit of a low point of the uh, of the trip I will say it wasn't um, it wasn't a picture I was expecting to receive. <laughs> it was he- it was heavily zoomed in. Yeah, it was, it was uh, heavily yeah. zoomed. It, it was it was you know ninety five percent tick. Yeah, but, <laughs> and that and that's tick to tick be fair with a T. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that I mean it proper made me laugh. I was laughing so much with it. So uh, yeah, so interesting times then, boys. It's fair to say you've had yeah. uh, since you were last on. It's, <laughs> You've had experiences. Yeah, we've been busy boys. <laughs> well, since you were last on as well, when I did the uh, Six Nations thing, I did a, a quick fire, getting to know you kind of thing for all of our guests. And I didn't get to do that with the two of you. So I'm just going to do quick fire questions. So like seven questions, either or, and then we'll move on. So Tom, I'll start with you. So nice. Just first thing that comes in. So uh, Mike Phillips or Kevin Phillips? Kevin. Millennium Stadium or Stadium of Light? Millennium Stadium. Golf clubs or nightclubs? Golf clubs. Belfast or Buckfast? Buckfast. Uh, Springboks or Lions? Lions. And then Greenwood, Nige, Ronan O'Gara, Shag Mary Kill. So is it? Will Greenwood, Nigel Owens, Ronan O'Gara, Shag Mary Kill. Or I'd marry Nigel because he's dead, dead wholesome. And he'd make me a lot of barabreeth. Uh, I was almost one of your either was Greenwood. I get rid of Greenwood. He do me tits in. 
he never shuts up. Like, oh, he, oh, nah, I couldn't do it. Um, imagine being in a long car journey with Greenwood. Falling out. He'd want to play eyes by the whole way there. Him so and Nigel would have to be go. doing the A's, doing the it, South Africa A game. Fucking yeah. Hell. And uh, so you, you... Ogara, Ogara, as long as I could be top. I, I've seen him tackling. You could be whatever you wanted to be, I think. I don't think he's... Yeah. <laughs> right. Ties, Tom. So, Sam. Yeah. You're up. Uh, Tour de France or rugby in France? Uh, Tour de France. Uh, Lottie or Maro? Um, Lottie. Uh, Topsy and Tim or Topsy Ojo? Oh, Topsy Ojo. All day. Uh, tick picks or dick picks? Uh... <laughs> Only, both only if they're um, only if they're uh, artfully done. welcomed. Yeah, artfully done and welcome. But tick, tick, pick. Uh, lions or Springboks? Lions. And then the same question to finish off: Greenwood, Nigel, Gara, Shag, Mary, Kill. Oh, uh, kill, kill Greenwood. Obviously, I think, I think that's the obvious. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Um. Probably Shagnai, Shmali, Ogala. I think, um, I don't think it'd be a particularly exciting marriage, but I think it would be, um, uh, I think it might be informative. And I think it might work out well for him because we already know he doesn't trust women. So maybe this, <laughs> maybe that's a, the, a joyful life for him. Ogala's exactly. a marriage of convenience, isn't it? It yeah. is. You're, you're marrying Ogara because you know he's going nowhere and you can get away with whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, like you're you're rolling in steaming at three o'clock, and he's going, "Oh, where are you been?" And you're going, "Fuck off, man! I'll go where I want." He's not going to kick in. Okay, as long as you're home safe, and yeah. <laughs> and you, he doesn't have uh, the Will Greenwood haircut. Imagine him waking up to Will Greenwood's haircut every day, looking like fucking wow. Gary Oldman in Fifth Element. Uh, yes. What is that? Like, is he has he lost a bet? <laughs> I think he's lost his mind. He's got, he's got to because it's like you're someone's dad. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, mean? I, I think they're like, too old for him to have to do the school run now. At least imagine yeah. your dad picking up the school with that. You know, you, you know that haircut reminds me of, and I digress slightly here. But it's you know when you're out with your mates and you're like, or when you went to the pub with your mates and you were like 21, 22, and someone's dad who always thought he was younger than what he was, would come in and have a few pints and try and have a bit crap with the lads and everyone's like, I wish yeah. his dad fuck off. <laughs> He's got that vibe about him, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. They, they will not Damn. leave go of his younger years. Yeah. Let us tell you about that time I got knocked out for four days in South Africa. Will, no one gives a fuck, mate. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I lost four days of my life on that tour. I'm losing fucking time of my life now listening to you, son. Can we... <laughs> so it's definitely no one's marrying Will, it's fair to say. No. Right, we've done our thing. We'll dive into the news. Um, I say news. One of the major news stories I've got down is Japan are joining something. But we don't know what, but they've definitely been involved somewhere in something at some point. That's all the news that was given out. Do we want to speculate? Should we just fucking go nuts with this? Do we want to? I think uh, it's got to be um, either a six-team Southern Hemisphere tournament with Argentina, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, 
um, Japan and then Fiji, Fiji. or yeah. you know some some combined thing. Um, or I mean that's I think that works best. Yeah. Um, little Six Nations style tournament there with bonus points and all that kind of all that kind of carry on. Yeah. Um, I guess the alternative is if I, I mean I'm not sure if we'll get to it, but. South Africa joining the Six Nations is something that keeps cropping up every now and then. I can't see it, but then a lot of stuff has happened that I couldn't really see, um, and so that's that's. I think that's probably. I, I don't. I don't really rate that as a good a good idea. But yeah, I think I think a six team Northern Hemisphere tournament and a six team Southern Hemisphere tournament is is the best bet. Yeah, I agree, and I, I, it, they do marry each other in. I think I, that was next. The was that South Africa supposedly and Lee joining the Six Nations. They say you say I can't see it happening, and then I was like, oh, surely not. But then we all thought the same thing about South African teams, like proper real South African teams joining the Pro Fourteen, not those made up ones we had before, like yeah. the real, the real shit. So who knows what? I, I quite like to see Japan drop into the with Fiji into the the Rugby Championship. I think that would work quite well. It's it's quite wild, isn't it? When you think that um, the idea that Italian teams would be joining Scotland, Ireland, Wales before any England teams or any merging of that that seems crazy. But then that's just we're just okay with that. Like that's that's normal now. Um, and then the South African thing that was crazy when it started, but again that's fairly normal now again. Um, I know even fucking Jay Z joined. Yeah. That's, how, that's how strange things are going. <laughs> yeah. How, how the fuck does that happen, by the way? How, at what point is GSA went? Oh, I'm gonna have a bit of this. Like you, you, you are you've purchased a league where one of the exponents of the league at one point thought, you know what might be a good idea? What if I stick my hand in this cage? What's in the cage? A lion. <laughs> 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 and then. You know, and then on the other side is like there's also players there who are again exponents of the game going, sure, I'll just throw this flammable liquid on a fire. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and GZ somehow seen this and went, I want part of that. I want part that of that. That is fucking up my street, that. I like the idea that it wasn't Sia Khaleesi that, that maybe brought the subject with him. It was. Damien Dialendi and Scott Baldwin. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, right? But the thing is, that's what's hitting the headlines, isn't it? No one's, you know, the the idiots doing stupid stuff is what's catching the headlines. But I've got an alternative take on the Japan thing, so I think they're joining the rugby championship. Yeah. But I think there's a distinct possibility that Argentina may also break away from it because there has been talk that they want to. The sort of loose talk, isn't it? That they want to expand the Six Nations. I don't really see any logic in South Africa doing it, like because even geographically, it doesn't make too much sense. There's a lot of Argentinian players, though, based in Europe. And if you bring a lot of the Argentinians over, you also open the door up to bringing Uruguay into the mix as well. Yeah. Bring Uruguay into the mix, and you have a two tier Six Nations. It means that you're going to have two comp competitive tiers whereas I think the idea of oh let's just relegate Italy into the you know that promotion relegation thing is like no disrespect to the other teams but there's every chance you would relegate Italy and then they just 
piss themselves out of the league. So you just end up with like Italy and Georgia just like ships in the night, probably passing each other all the time. Throw Argentina in the mix and Uruguay, and then you know you you kind of up in the game, and then you have two very competitive kind of sides of of that tournament, which I think would make it a better spectacle in general as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm open for um, going fully into Japanese culture as I know it, uh, like the rugby championship, but all based around Takeshi's castle. Because I think there's not enough. Well, no one wins. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, yeah, nobody wins it. Just... Do, you wanna, do you want to know my Takeshi's castle fact? Yeah. There is more people being to the moon than one Takeshi's castle. I knew that was going to be a fact. I found out the other day, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's the best fact ever. Imagine being able to walk into a room with like Neil Armstrong and go, see you, I've done something more impressive than being to the moon, you fucking fraud. <laughs> Jog on. Half a dozen of you lot, five of us, fuck off. That's of course because nobody's been to a mo- the moon, they've all just been in a hangar in Texas somewhere. True. Exactly. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen Capricorn one. I know how this works. <laughs> so... Other rugby's, uh, the sevens obviously on at the Olympics. I'm always been a person that says I take no joy from rugby sevens. I find it absolutely shit, and I don't see the point in it. Mainly because I'm a knocker and I'm fat and I'm slow. And then I watched rugby sevens at the Olympics, and I loved every fucking second of it, especially the women's game. Have we all been watching it? Uh, it's like gymnastics, isn't it? In that, like, I watch maybe slightly more. Rugby sevens, yeah, it's one of the things that uh, you know it'll be like um, a lazy April uh, Sunday, and you'll be flicking through Sky Sports, and there'll be some seven storm in some way. You think I'll put a bit of that on, and then I just don't really care. Like I I don't care, and then but it's like gymnastics. And every four years, I go, oh, I think I'm going to become a gymnastics fan. Like I really (laughs) like this. This is great. And then four years passing, passing, I go. Oh yeah, I was going to become a gymnastics fan. I'll definitely do it this time, and that's how I feel about sevens. Although, having said that, I watched very little of the Olympics and just followed it purely off Twitter and kind of a couple of minute clips um, of stuff. The Olympics is just living proof, though, isn't it? It's like because everyone's the same. It's like you see, like oh, get into that, and then you never do. It's just proof that for like three weeks every four years if somebody goes oh this is really really important you'll sit there and watch any old shite because there's like this tribal instinct that kicks into you where it's like well i don't really give a fuck about horses dancing what's that a lad from gb might win it fuck a quadson and you just get right into it even though you don't give a fuck like i was watching oh is it the other day like Horses running cross country. The only time I give a fuck about a horse jumping fences is when it's going round in a big circle at Cheltenham. And this time I'm watching a guy wearing a suit do it, and I'm thinking, "Go on, son, fucking go on, like getting right into it, like since then." We all do it, right? With the Olympics, we all get into it, and there's no everyone's like, "Yes, yeah, the thing and champion, and everyone should watch it. It's great." And we all get into it, and then we do it. With, like I do it when Wimbledon comes round, and I occasionally do it with the Ashes, but. Then, as soon as people do it with rugby for the Six Nations, everyone goes, hey, it's fucking shit for you. Where, the yeah. fans, where <laughs> yeah. are they the rest of the year? Like, well, hang on, you've, you've watched 
the Olympics every four years and mm. you've never watched another. I watch BMX in and it's the greatest sport they've ever invented. Oh. And I wouldn't see it for another four years. I don't even know where I would see it. Go down the park. Did you watch the skatey boarding? The skatey boarding was unreal. Like, it was. Well, the I've skate... not been in the Olympics before. It's fucking mint. The skateboarding was great in the men's because most of them fell off. And I was all about that. I'm all about you train four years and you're the best person at doing this. You're the top 10 in the world and you fucked it all up. Uh, that's what I want to see. That's what I'm there for. The oh, BMXing was out of this world. The, the freestyle BMXing, when she was upside down, going corkscrewing and laughing. Uh, Blue my bike. I can't do that off a bike. Never mind on a fucking one. I really yeah. enjoyed the uh, that high jump where they shared the gold medal. But what I yes. most enjoyed was not the sporting element of it, but was that I came into it slightly late, and by that point, I think there was only three of them left, and the the height was you know whatever the ridiculous height is, and so all you saw was you know some some athletics laying down the track, and it would cut back to these tall men failing to jump over the over the high jump and so <laughs> you're thinking this is a this is the olympics final and i've basically just watched 10 clips of you know three men not being able to jump over the uh, over the bar which you know i mean it's, it's a high bar to be fair but you you do still think i'm not sure this is the best advert for the sport i just like the ingenuity of them right, we're gonna have a jump off and he just went but what happens if he doesn't jump off? Goes, <laughs> you both get gold medals. And he goes, well, why don't we just both get gold medals? <laughs> yeah, what's what's the loss? <laughs> yeah, it's like, so I get on with a gold medal and my friend gets one as well. Yeah, fine. <laughs> mind, mind, if we retract at the point, the women's sevens is better than the men's sevens because I've got a very hot take surrounding it. Um, oh, oh. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my head above it. So... Intrinsically, I find men's 15s rugby more interesting than women's rugby. It's nothing to do with the skill level at all. Just is what I really like about the men's rugby is I like watching two 20 stone glutes just fucking fly into each other, which is nice. It's not the same when they're like 12, 13 stone. It's just, it's not got, it hasn't got that extremely physical element to it. Like, I like seeing people who are f- who can't fit through door frames run at each other to see which one breaks first. I think that's really interesting. But the, I don't find the men's sevens that interesting because it's just like, so you've just given me a team full of back rowers. Fantastic. Like, I find uh, men's sevens a bit like rugby in the early 90s. Yeah. But the women's, the, I think it's fantastic. Because I think it lends itself more to the, because the women are, are more agile than the men by a mile. Like they can turn on a six minute. You look at Jazz Joyce, she she turn actual men's rugby players inside out, because she's just so nimble and they read the game so quickly. So I think the, the excessive space, and just the, the general makeup of the sevens player, I just think it lends itself to women's much much better. Like I just think for some reason. It marries up. I think but, as well that's what that's the future. So it's a bit like with women's cricket, is that although all these things started at the same time, um, you know, for reasons that we all know, they women's sport just hasn't progressed at the same rate and hasn't been as popular no. at the same rate. And so at this point, they're in a kind of a good 
situations where they can just pick and choose what is the the um uh the kind of the 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 the, the thing of the moment like you know the zeitgeist yeah. element and if for cricket you know the, the 100 and the g20 for women is going to be a much bigger part of it than it is i think for the men and then for the women's rugby the sevens is the the place you do it because the the problem with women's international rugby is it's amazing but it's it's amazing when england play france um yeah and then when england play anywhere else it's it's fairly dull after half an hour because it's an absolute beat down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um and i think with sevens you get much more competitive games because more of the of the countries have gone you know what this is where we're gonna put yeah. our money because this actually is where we could overtake england and and have a chance at at success where there's 15s is such a lot to catch up on that it's not worth it. The thing is as well with sevens, essentially I suppose you've got, it's not that you've got necessarily a bigger talent pool, but is you can be more precise with it because in 15s you've got to pick like, you know, is, you know, obviously every, everybody comes in different shapes and sizes, but there, there isn't that many women out there who are built like forwards because, you know, you look at men's rugby is the lads who are built like forwards, especially at the, the top level of the game, spend years building the body into that shape because they're being paid to do it from a young age. You're not having that with the women's. So there's a lot more players who are physically, you know, if you're athletic, you're physically good enough to play sevens. And there's, you know, there's however many 14, 15 potential places for people like that. But if you're building a 15s rugby team, you need, you know, you're only going to have space for, say, 10 of those builder women because essentially they're all backs and then you've got to fill the rest with people who aren't built for that position and not every country has access to that talent pool. Like, it's I think quite, it's a way forward, definitely. It's quite a good way of seeing what rugby was like 20 years ago maybe I guess maybe 25 years ago and the, the discrepancy between the countries is so vast because you know some are professional some aren't um, some are uh, showing this from a really young age some are kind of picking up later and I think that's you know rather than wait 20 years for the ability to reach a kind of fairly level playing field you could just pump all that money into sevens and, and have that kind of yeah. Pretty much immediately have that kind of competitiveness. Yeah, and I say with the, the infrastructure, certainly you know, like we look at Wales at the minute. I was ranting about this last week, like where they even just one professional club, if you could get one into England, would be fucking fantastic at a 15s level. But like you say, it's a little bit easier and more sustainable at the minute to, to run that sevens game and put out a, a, a good women's sevens team. Um, big personality. To our social media around the men's game has been a little bit toxic the past week or two. We'll talk about that in a bit. But when we did, uh, or when everyone did the blackout a while back, the, the social media blackout, and it was during the, the Women's Six Nations, and they talked about how damaging it was for the game. And I think these Olympics have shown just how important social media can be because we've seen Ilona Ma, Ilona Ma from America pick up a million followers on the back of her TikTok videos showing everything that's going on behind the scenes at the Olympics and showing uh, games, showing 
wandering on the Olympic Village, it just generally being funny and not being funny like when uh, men's teams go, look at this funny personality we got, and you go, yeah, he's a twat. Like she seems genuinely funny in her own way. Like she's not doing it for for like she was doing it because she had a TikTok channel. Uh, we had Ruby Tui's interview on the BBC where she was absolutely superb and that's gone viral. Just a little on the hop, Ruby Tui's behind you can again interview and she was superb. So I think it's shown as well just how important social media is for the women's game and I, and I keep fucking saying it, just visibility. Like they need visibility for them to be able to grow that game. Well, I don't know if I've said this. Was it to you I said it? I can't remember. But I said this a little while back to someone. Is I genuinely think what would help really push the women's game forward, um, especially at a sevens level, is we have, you know, Scotland, Wales, England, whatever, that can have sevens women's teams. When you switch on to watch a Six Nations game on, say, a Saturday afternoon, coverage starts at, what, half two, three o'clock? We're spending yeah. an hour talking shit. Let's be honest. You have an hour's coverage before the game. 45 minute of it, minutes of it is just shit. And it's 45 minutes. That could be condensed down into 20, 25 minutes. What's stopping them? Because you're going to have a crowd coming in anyway. What's stopping them from having a women's sevens game played as a precursor to the, to the men's 15 games? Because it's going to give them exposure. Because... You know, if you see it to someone, right, your 80, 90, 100 quid ticket for the rugby is going to get you in for t- Wales versus England. But half an hour before kickoff, there is also going to be, or 40 minutes before kickoff, there's also going to be a women's sevens game. A few people might just go, well, fuck it, yeah, let's go watch it. The, you know, you might get, if you're a, you know, a mother or a daughter taking, a, a dad or a mother, sorry, taking your daughter there, your daughter might want to go see it. I mean, it can't, it can't do them any harm, giving it a try. And I know it's a bit like, oh, this is a sideshow. But at some point, it's not going to be a sideshow. It's going to give them a bit more exposure. It's going to get them on primetime TV. And it's not exactly going to do the coverage any harm because do you want to spend 20 minutes listening to Dan Lydia talking about what he's been doing on his farm the last six months? Or would you rather watch 20 minutes of two decent professional seven sides actually having a game of rugby before a big game of rugby, like I think it's quite I mean? interesting with the because the hundred was, uh, you know, the cricket tournament at the moment is meant to bring in more of the new, you know, new fans and and attract new fans, and I think specifically they were focusing on um, families and and specifically winning, yeah. and I think the the problem all these things have when they try and do it like the hundreds has, is that they go, what do people want? What do people come to support for? And then for some reason they come, they do some mental gymnastics and come up with the answer, which is they come to sport to watch a DJ and drink a load of beer and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which is, you know, an element of, of some sport. But for it to be sustainable, you have to go to watch it on its own merits. And you have to go because you actually want to watch some rugby or you want to watch some yeah. cricket or you want to watch you know, whatever I, it might be I don't know anybody who bought tickets for Wales England because they wanted to see DJ Spoonie's laser disco <laughs> like no one no. I don't think an extra ticket was sold because they were oh fucking hell Spoonie's there oh I, I was 
uh, when it was the, you know, the biggest rivalry in the Six Nations or, or one of anyway, the biggest rivalries in rugby, I wasn't interested. But if DJ Spoonie's going to be on for 20 minutes, fucking hell. Like, it's a yeah. load of nonsense but, it happens every time. But you think about as well, when you go to a Wales game, right? How, like, nothing against the choir. The choir's spot on. But that choir is on the pitch for half an hour when the stadium's, you know, it's slowly filling up. Now, you you know the rigmaroles are getting into stadiums and obviously you can have them sit and have a pint. But if somebody goes to you 40 minutes before kickoff, the bars in Cardiff are always fucking ramming anyway. Like, you know what I mean? Is They get to the point that once they have the stadiums where they are too full and when you're playing rugby in February, it's fucking freezing outside, so you don't want to be standing outside having a pint. Someone says to you, sure, you can get yourself in the ground 40 minutes, 45 minutes before kickoff. You can sit and have a couple of pints and there's going to be a sevens game on. I'd, I'd go as far to say is there's a few people that go, you know what it is, yeah, fuck it. It's in with the ticket. I don't think putting it on after would keep people there because people yeah. just want to fuck off home. You put it on before, I think people will go, you know what it is, like, it's stand outside a fucking freezing bar or be rammed inside a freezing bar or I can go, take me seat, beat the rush and sit and have a couple of pints before the game comes on. Like, it's a bit of a no-brainer. I know I would, you know, I'm yeah. speaking personally, and I, I think there'd be a fair few fans who would do that as well, just because it makes, it almost makes sense, which is probably why they don't actually fucking do it. That's why it has happened, yeah. <laughs> so I think we're all in agreement, though, other than being able to say semi-run, run, run uh, Olympic gold medalist now, which gives me joy in my heart. I've enjoyed the women's sevens more than the men's sevens as well. One person who enjoyed women's sevens for all the wrong reasons, Jamie Cudmore, put out his tweets after the Canadian women lost. I don't know if we've seen, he's done a proper apology because he did a bit of a, oops, I didn't know what I was doing apology the day after. He's put out a proper apology today. I don't even know where to begin with it, to be honest. It's shit. And I don't want it to be shit because despite all his flaws and his fact that he was a horrible bastard on the pitch, up until those tweets went out, I still quite liked Jamie Cudmore. And I liked his story and I liked that he'd come from a shit background and I liked that, you know, he'd had a, a dark past that he'd left behind. Are we all... I know we're all disappointed, but we all as disappointed by... By Cuddles' tweets? I think the second apology is, is quite good. I think that the part of the problem, I mean, before going on to this week, it's part of the problem with um, any apology now is half of them are complete garbage and they're, I'm sorry if I offended you, or I'm sorry if you were offended yeah. um, type stuff. And the other half are probably genuine. And a load of people go, oh well, that makes him even more the bastard. He should have just, he should have just doubled down or whatever. So I think <laughs> the yeah, the second apology is is was needed. Um, yeah. It seems so. I, I didn't follow the the kind of management or coaching issue pre um, Olympics, but I kind of caught up with it afterwards. Yeah. And so it seems to be that there was a coach who was under investigation for bullying who Cudmore's tweets 
were aimed at, I guess, supporting. Um, so, first of all, it's a very stupid way to try and support someone who you think is, was wronged. Um, it looks daft. Um, and also, I always think with, with these kind of things is, you know, people are allowed to, allowed to think whatever they think. And, you know, it, generally fine. A lot, a lot of us think stuff that we possibly wouldn't want to air. But you do have to wonder how stupid you have to be to publish something like that when you are employed by the people that you are cheering against. It seems, it strikes me as amazingly, aside from all the uh, cruel and all that kind of stuff, it just seems unbelievably stupid. It does, but I will say on that side, I quite regularly slagged off Tories and the Queen while I was working in the civil service. So perhaps I'm not the best person to comment on that bit. But yeah, I think when you when you're in the public eye as well, like not many people I don't think were searching my Twitter while I was working for the civil service. But like Jamie Cudmore is coach of the national team. Yeah, it's quite noticeable when you come out slagging off the Canadian national team. <laughs> So aside from the comments being fucking horrific and shit, you're going, they're, they're fucking stupid. Like they, they're just plain fucking dense. I, I, I say I'm massively disappointed more than anything. I know he's he's done probably uh, a lot of shit wrong in his life. But yeah, you kind of, you we were all rooting for him. Uh, you change everything around and he just become a bit of a shit house. But yeah, that was that was total crap. Yeah, hopefully he he's apologised. He actually sees the error of his ways, and yeah, because you know that not everyone who people can uh, screw up and then have a you know people people can screw up in, in this kind of way. I, I do think there's the American thing of they love someone who screwed up uh, in serious ways, seemingly more than people who are. Yeah. who have not screwed up at all, which always baffles me. Um, but I think, uh, you know, potentially he's got the he's got an opportunity to, you know, reinvent himself and and, and come back, but it's just fairly stupid. And it's it's undermining what was actually a really good tournament for, oh yeah, a pretty good tournament for Canada. And, um, you know, because they were up there in the 15s and they've kind of fallen away um, and this was a good opportunity for them to come back. I thought they did a good account of themselves and this is kind of overshadowed that I, you're right to say that if he does the things that he says in the apology as well and is willing to learn and grow as a person and, and change like I've slagged off Matera around the racist tweets because more than anything as well he never came out and gave that or, or looked like he'd made any effort to change there's not been anything to show he'd, he'd made the statement that he would change and then nothing showed. Neil Francis came out and just brushed aside and said, well, I'm sorry that you're offended. Well, no, fuck you. Sorry for being a prick. Don't be sorry yeah. for me being offended. So, yeah, yeah I, it would be perhaps a little unfair to jump on, on Cudmore at the moment. Well, I, I think I think the thing with Michelle is, I know it's all, slightly old news, but I, I found that very interesting because what a load of the responses what, what, on Twitter were, oh, yeah, but he thought that as a kid. And you think, well, that's the last comment that he's publicly made about racism. Yeah. And so that's all we've got to go on. So he, as far as we know, he still thinks that. 
because I, I've got I went to school with a bunch of racist kids who some of them will still be racist uh, and some of them hopefully will have will have changed but I don't I don't know that and so I have to just go on the assumption that they're still that they still think the last thing that I knew that they thought um, and I think a lot of people are, are, are happy to write off Matera or write off Matera's thoughts as just what a kid thinks without actually knowing what, he's, what he thinks now which is important. I, th- I think what you the thing is, I would I would never never ever defend it. But then there's there's a very distinct difference between like what Cudmore was seeing and what yeah. Matera did. Oh yeah, because yeah. you know is as kids, even as adults, we all see stupid shit. Obviously, we don't see racist shit, but you know it's when you're young is it is quite easy to fall and, and be influenced by the people around you and stuff. And, you know, and the way I looked at it is, you know, is I like to say, I wouldn't let Matera away with it, but I also give him the same benefit, of, not the benefit of the doubt even, but it seems that England cricketer recently is like, he said a lot of horrible shit when he was younger. We all see horrible shit when we're younger. And, My- life, and life changes you. But what you've got to do is you've also got to hold your hands up and say, fucking hell, that was awful. Like, this is what I'm going to do to fix it, blah, 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 blah. Which, in fairness, Cudmore has gone, look, that's an abhorrent view. I should fix it. But the only difference is, is he is a vastly experienced individual who's had a lot of life happen to him. You know, he's he's been, he's plied his trade all over the world. He holds positions of influence and power he's the last person who should be saying that that makes sense is like yeah. you can understand a, a teenage kid seeing something you but yeah you can understand how they would say something stupid like that because we'll have all made when we were younger maybe a, a passive comment that we didn't think was overtly offensive to someone but was actually deeply offensive but obviously, as you grow up as a human and you realise, well, no, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't do this, blah, 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 blah. So I'd, I would like to think that when people make those comments when they're younger, they have grown as a person. Now, if they haven't grown as a person and they still think that, like, you should fuck off, basically, you're a horrible cunt and sport would be better without you in it, which is true. But, you know, like you say, you've, you've got to give people a chance to, to kind of, like repent and to change themselves but I think there is you know you do also have to be realistic and see Cudmore is a vastly experienced person and he's obviously been through a lot in life so he should probably know better like the apology shouldn't have to happen because he shouldn't be seeing that shit in the first place essentially yeah, it's phenomenally stupid. Isn't it? It's just, yeah. it's just very, very, it's a very yeah. stupid thing to do. Even if he thinks those things, um, then you know, for the sake of keeping a job, you just don't say it. It's the same for you know, we all think certain things about our bosses, but we don't, yeah. don't say them because we want to keep our job. Yeah, it's a good place to leave it. We'll move on to something much more uh, calmer and agreeable and something that's not caused any trouble at all. Uh, a week of Lions. It's, it's been a calm one, hasn't it? It's been, it's been nice and relaxed ah. since the first test. Nothing's really it's happened. Been it's been a breeze. Like, <laughs> it's been incredible. It's been incredible. 
what what I've really admired about this Lions tour is, I mean, we should add in the caveat, by the way, the rugby's been fucking abhorrent. It is genuine, like, <laughs> fuck me. It's Honestly, it's just been... It's just been watching grown men run into each other for 80 minutes at a time. But I have so much respect. And Gav knows I love a shit house. I there's nothing greater in sport than a shit house. Watching Gatland and Erasmus somehow manage to shit house each other to the point where they're both living rent-free in each other's heads is incredible. It's like it's like they've metamorphosized. It's like fucking Freaky Friday. It's like Gatland is actually inside Erasmus and Erasmus is inside Gatland, but the vessels they've left are now empty because they are both. <laughs> they don't know whether they're coming or going. They fucking don't. It turns out Resi Erasmus has fucking at least two personalities, which is two more than Gatland's got. <laughs> like, it is... It's, it's genuine. I have never seen in the public sphere... Two grown men lose the minds like these two have. It's it's just been amazing, really. It's wonderful. It's like David Blaine shit. Yeah, I I it's blown my mind a little bit. I think we hit the point this week where it was like crossing the streams in Ghostbusters, like Razi's mind games and Warren Gatlin's mind games, and it just it fucking exploded rugby. Like rugby blew up on Thursday and everyone went fucking mental on social media. And I sat back and went, fuck you guys, you could all carry on. I'm not even talking about the Lions right. today. It, you, it, it went bonkers. You know what, what sums up how fucking mental this is? Is Courtney Laws being selected in the first test was Gatlin mind games. And he was trying to, f- you can tell by selecting him, he was trying to fuck with the South Africans there because they're like, what are they picking him for? He's shit. He's just a big, he's just a big meathead who's going to fucking thunder into everything, and somehow Gatlin's thrown that in there as a curveball, but it's actually ended up being if like this inspired move. It turns out it wasn't a curveball, but it actually worked. He's he's tried to shit house the South Africans, but by doing it, he's actually done the opposite of what he was trying to do, and it's just like nobody knows. Like Courtney Laws was picking the rugby ball up and fucking running with it and he didn't even drop it. Like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> he was free of Scott Williams. It. When there's no Scott Williams is about, Courtney Laws <laughs> carries the ball very well. <laughs> it's insane. Honestly, it's just like, it, I just, I, I've been seeing shit on the pitch the past couple of weeks and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Well, it's just, it's incredible. I assume Courtney Laws was playing as some sort of sponsorship deal with Giacomo. I assumed that, that <laughs> yeah. it was like when Brazil couldn't drop Ronaldo for the 98 World Cup final, even though he potentially died an hour before. It was uh, well, Courtney Laws is shit. Yeah, but we've, we've done a deal with Giacomo. He's <laughs> got to be on the pitch for at least 60 minutes. Like, <laughs> got to pick him. The, the, I, I find it quite, I find it similar actually to, um, to the Trump election in the, the, yeah, the first one where, you just thought it doesn't really matter if he gets in or not. He's close enough, or he will be close enough, that he's proven that this kind of thing works. And I remember that England Italy game back in twenty seventeen, was it, where they did the the wolf or the fox or whatever it was, 
where the Italians all stood offside, but it yes. wasn't offside. Yeah. And I was thinking for that, um, covering it technically for Rugby World, although yeah. not Rugby World, so Planet Rugby, and they just wanted me to do some um, uh, audio clips from uh, from the press conference. And it was, you know, my first experience of, actually my second experience of tricking, but first for the uh, proper proper international game. And uh, it was, you know, it was a good, good game, interesting game. And then um, at the at the press conference, uh, Eddie Jones was such a bellend about how it wasn't rugby and it should be stopped. And um, and then there was a bunch of crap on um, by Matt Dawson afterwards saying it's not rugby. It's, you know, almost crying because it wasn't rugby he, he knew. And I thought that was the low point because it was just people... You know, if you go on any coaching course now, it's all about oh, be creative, let the player legged thinking be creative about that, and that was pretty much the perfect example of that. That that was you know, yeah. look at look at this happening, uh, and then Ajax's reaction was so disappointing, just just boringly predictable, and I thought that was a low point. But then this is so much lower because it's just I just don't care. Like it's the whole thing is. It's so boring, and I, I quite like a bit of shit housing to a point. But the the you know no one cares about rugby really anymore. The second test was dire. Um, the the whole thing was just second guessing what the referee was going to do, um, and it's just so boring. It's so so amazingly boring, and um, the the problem is is you know. Either South Africa are going to win two one or the Lions go win two one, but whatever it is the the South Africa are going to be close enough that you're going to have some Tim Pot Lazio Erasmus in a couple of years do exactly the same thing, bore us all with some hour long video explaining how the referee got a marginal call wrong, and because it's it's set the groundwork of this might actually work, you know, because you could you could easily watch that second test and go, uh, well that was that was that was what happens if if you're um when the opposition coach puts puts this much pressure on the refereeing team and and i just think that's a, a terrible path that we're gonna end up going down see i will say right up until the the wednesday thursday I thought this was the most exciting thing that had happened in rugby for a long, long time. I watch, or I, I'm not one of these people who, other than the Autumn Nations Cup, which bored me to within an inch of my fucking life, and I didn't care about it in the slightest. I generally love watching rugby. I watch just about any rugby and get my hands on, no matter what league or. Well, I mean, I was up at three o'clock in the morning watching South American rugby on my phone, so an app because Robbie Squid's rugby had told me how I could get it, and so it was fucking great. I was watching Brazil, who's got the best scrum half I've ever seen with his big quiff and his moustache looking like a young prince so I was and then the Razzie thing came out and I thought this is a, this is brilliant this is superb this is war I, I'm like the antithesis of everyone who does the rugby values thing because I think the rugby values thing is fucking shit I'm all for the shit I was in I'm all for the mind games I'm all for the theatricals with it I'm all for all the shit that comes with it but then what happened on the back of it was all the fans turned into arseholes and everyone who was on social media just turned into a massive prick. And then everyone was like, all the, all the British fans were pointing and Irish fans were pointing at the, the Springboks fans going, are oh, they, they all pricks? Are they, are they all pricks? And then all the 
Springboks fans are playing. You go, yeah, you're all pricks. You're all assholes. Like, just fucking grow up. Like, it's a see, game of rugby. Let's get draw. It's like it was like shouting at wrestling. Like when when Gatland and Razi were doing all this, it would have been like the guy getting wound up with Stone Cold Steve Austin hit the rock with a chair. Like, just enjoy it. You don't get don't get drawn in. It's all it's not real. Like none of this. It's all just for your entertainment. Just enjoy it. So you, you, the one thing that completely melted my mind last week. In terms of the shit housing was, there was a lot of British rugby fans. Went, God, Faf de Klerk's a bit of a shit house, isn't he? Like, have you only just realised this? <laughs> have you only just realised probably the most irritating fucking rugby player of all time is Faf de Klerk? He's incredible. He's the biggest cunt. Oh, I, j- I just love him. I just love <laughs> everything about him. I love his hair. I love how small he is. I love how talented he is, and I love how there's one thing he always does. And if you watch him, he must spend, like, you know how, like, fly-halves and that, spend, like, five, ten minutes figuring out the game, figuring out the shapes and all that. You can see the cogs turning in Faf's head, and he's like, right, who's their biggest cunt? And he's just looking around, and then he finds him, and then as soon as there's a breakdown with a big cunt in, he's straight in there. He's, like, he's just ragging blokes, like, twice his size. And then as soon as that happens... When Etzebeth comes in and he just slopes into the background, like you know, in the Simpsons, when Homer just vanishes into the bush, that's what he does because Etzebeth's just there, like you want your fucking goal with his biceps the size of mountains. And it's just, it's it's incredible. It's theatre. It's like Ant and Deck together. It's like the perfect sideshow. It's amazing. And I just love it. But I, I can't believe people couldn't, couldn't figure it out. But the rugby is just the death of rugby. It's like, so far, it's a test series where the first game, there was a group of big bastards smashing some other big bastards better than they won. And then the second test was, there was a group of big bastards smashing some other big bastards better than they won. And that's all this has been. It's like... Well, Faf de Klerk is such a prick that Steve Diamond built a team around him. That's how much of an arsehole Faf de Klerk is. Yeah. Even Steve Diamond, when this guy's like, too much of a prick for me, I'm going to make it the linchpin of my side. Oh, he's an arsehole, but you just love him, don't you? <laughs> you just, you can't do anything but love him. You, you what just... is quite good about the Lions is that I, I you, you spend all the, the, yeah, the fleeing a bit years between the tests as a Welsh fan just going, oh, Itoje is such a bellend. Like he's so good, but he's such a belling. And then every four years, you go, ah, oh, but he's he's our belling for this for this yeah. kind of a month period or two months or whatever it is. And I really enjoy that because I know that for the next year or so, because I really I actually like Itoje, but I do think he's a belling. And he's a belling on the pitch. Oh yeah, off yeah, the pitch, yeah. he's amazing. Oh, on of course, pitch. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, I I think um, you know at least for the next maybe a year or so, I'll be able to watch Toji on the pitch and be like, yeah, he's not so bad. And then that'll wear off. But then the next Lions tour will be around only, only a few years after that. I, I tell you what I do find tedious on, and I'm hoping you'll agree, is what I found most tedious this week, apart from the back and forward between South African 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 on Twitter telling everybody they're a dick, is the tribalism within the Lions fans, and it really, really annoys me. Like, and it, it, it's just tedious. So I'm in a group chat and for the 
for what football podcasts are doing is Ireland fans in there, Wales, England, Scotland. We've got all bases covered. And it's like, you'd go, you know what it is? I say, I said, like, you know, I dropped Stuart Hogg next week because he's been, for my money, he's been awful the first two tests. He probably shouldn't have played the second test. And it was like, you're being biased. Dan Bigger should be dropped. Dan Bigger. It's like, well, why should Bigger be dropped? He's not actually done anything wrong. He's one of the few players who's been decent. Like, pointing out that Hogg isn't, hasn't been great isn't a crime against humanity. It's just pointing out the obvious fact that he couldn't catch a fucking... I don't know what. He, he just couldn't catch anything. It's like he's had his hands turned into holograms. Well, like, I th- <laughs> That's a great... But, it, but isn't it? And it's like... And then, you know, as somebody pointed out the other day, so he said, oh, an Irish fan, he went... I've not been impressed with Tom Curry. You're just saying that because you fucking hate England. It's like, oh, it's just Tom Curry's been running into fucking rocks full pelt and then just bouncing out of them because the blokes who are there are just bigger and better than him. Like, it's not criminal to see a player from another country is is playing poorly. And to be honest, there's been a lot of very poor performances out onto us so far. It is odd because I found myself similar to um to kind of giving feedback um you know upwards you, when you have to give upwards feedback in a job and you think well i want you to i want to make sure i get my message across but i also don't want to come i don't want yeah i don't want you to hate me because you you're responsible for making good decisions or making decisions about my future so yeah. you're you, you 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 kind of um slightly lessen the criticism with a, a positive and so i find myself doing that where I think Van Gemerver was absolutely awful in the second test. Oh, he was. And, yeah, and and so I, I, you can't just say I think Van Gemerver is rubbish because you get a load of Scottish guys going, oh, well, what about bigger? Or what about Alan Jones? Or what about yeah, Ken Owings? All those kind of people. So now I found that if you go, oh, I think Al, I think Ali Price should start, but also I don't think that um, that uh, <laughs> Van Gemerver should play. Yeah. Most people are like, oh, yeah, I see that. I see that because it's like it's one Scott in, one Scott out. You know the balance yeah. of the balance of um, of fairness. But the, the problem is, is if you pick two Scots in your back three, and the back three is a major problem point, I, what are you going to do? You can't. You can't. I mean, that's just yeah. you know, sixty six percent of them were, were Scottish. So that's that's not a criticism of of Scotland. It's just saying this is the way it is. Um, they were the bad unit, and it just had so happened that sixty-six percent of them were Scottish. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's been a, that. I mean, the Erasmus stuff was the worst thing about last week. That's been the worst thing about this week. Is is that kind of you know, yeah? You're not allowed to drop him because you know, you're you're only dropping him because yeah. you hate you hate Scotland because you hate Scotland. Right yeah, so Wait, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try the tactic. Oh, I think Stuart Dog should be dropped. But I fucking love a ten X T cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Van der Meer was shade. However, the SMP have a very good manifesto. Yeah. <laughs> like, but but that's it in it. But it is it. You know, in, in the age of social media, I think the alliance is something really, really good because it's fans who often disagree and are such and such as you know X is better than Y and that. And it's actually like it, the purpose of it is it is this uniting thing. And social media lets you. You know, it lets you have this discussion with a with a broad church of people. So it, it you know it is nice to 
I like I for one enjoy the debates like when you you know with my Irish friends and one was like Henshaw's got to be starting 12 it's like I don't disagree and then you get into the debates of well who should be 13 and everybody has a different ideas and it's nice to see how people see the game but it, it is so tedious when you're like yeah mate like hog had a fucking stinker like he needs drop you're just here he's a is it, what, what's your other option well Liam Williams because he's the only other decent 15 that have bothered taking and you know like Anthony Watson was the same you know I saw but someone Watson's on had, had two poor I, he's, before, be, he's, before, he's been as bad as anyone as Anthony Watson yeah before like, the tour I said I would have gone Liam Williams Josh Adams and Anthony Watson as my back three which upset a couple of Scottish people before we'd even started um I'm completely wrong on the Watson front. He's been shocking. He's been very poor. To be fair, I was very surprised that he went because, and again, you, you know, the fact I've got a caveat with this isn't me being biased, but I think that over the past two years, I, I can't think of a time where I've looked at any of the England winners, winners and went, he's a threat and he's a lion. Especially when you've had two years of Josh Adams scoring tries for fun, went there in the practice games, scored tries for fun, and then the first and second test, he's nowhere to be seen for a guy who is just contributing nothing. He's not good. I don't think he's good enough under the high ball. I think that's been a big, big, big miscalculation of the, the coaches so far, is you need three backs who are comfortable under the high ball. And if he's won one, over the two tests, I'd be amazed. I the, the communication's been a bit poor between the back three as well. I think like the pendulum that, that we usually see has been fucking all over the place, which is slightly worrying when they said like two of the three players play for the same country. Now Duan hasn't had you know, he hasn't got bags of caps as but you would have thought that it would have been there, they would have had a better understanding, but it's, I don't know, it hasn't looked good in either test. I thought, I thought the Lions were really lucky in the first test anyway, mm. despite Wally trying to convince me otherwise last week. I, I thought they were they were out-muscled at the breakdown. They, they Springbrook were too physical in midfield. I, I thought they were very lucky to win the first test. But What's cool? Sorry, sorry, go, go. No, I was going to say that the, the back threes, but the fact that they stuck with I thought we would have seen a change before now, even if it was just one of the three for someone who would take control a little bit better. It's quite interesting because I'm sure we all did squad picks at some point before the whole Lions yeah. tour. And on mine, um, I would say, I probably, maybe I did three. And I think Bangy Merva made one. Um, and Josh Adams made all three. Furlong, for example, a non-Welsh person who made all three was was Furlong, Atoje, um, uh, Price actually made all three, Murray as well. Um, so you know there were these there there were people there who who made all three, but Van Gerwen wasn't. And I'm, I do struggle to know what it is that he offers that someone else doesn't. And what was quite interesting is I had a a brief Twitter debate with someone today who said that um, the I said that I wasn't sure what Van Gerwen offers that, for example, someone like uh, Hogg or uh, Zamet or, you know, whoever else is in the mix doesn't. And um, their point was that it's only between Van Gerwen and um, Watson because they've got experience and Zamet is 
is queuing experience for a game like this. I, I don't think that, that really matters. I do think that Zanet probably shouldn't be involved in the third test. However, when you look at it, Zamet has played nine games and Van Gerwen has played 12 games. So yeah. they are equally inexperienced. I, I think the only reason Van der Merwald was actually selected was purely because he, can, he is the biggest winger size-wise they've got. Yeah. And I think the plan was he, we can pull him off the wing and use him as a battering ram. But as, look, I ain't no rugby coach, but I do feel like playing the way we have the first two tests, even though the series is at 1-1, I think that's by luck rather than anything else, is uh, I think they've approached it all wrong. I think they've gone to South Africa and they went, right, we need to match them man for man. We need to match, fight fire with fire, which is all, you know, it's very well and good. But it's like, you know, South Africa also have Colby, who is absolutely electric. He is electric. So there's always a threat when we're kicking the ball long and putting the high ball up that Colby is just going to get it, skin two or three people, and create a massive gap and create scores. I don't see why we couldn't do that with Zamet because I do feel like I, I am a huge, huge fan. But just his pace, it means you can vary your kicking options as well because so far the only kicking option we've really had is up and under because there's there's not really, especially when you've got Colby covering, there's no real pace there that'll match him, that'll put them under any kind of pressure. Well, if you've got someone like Zamet, you can you can kick it long and he can chase and he can put you can put the man under a bit more pressure than what there would be usually and you might gain yourself an extra 10, 15 metres from it. Like I think the selections have kind of been at odds with the tactics. Like I think he's gone but we'll put big fuckers on there to try and match him. But then has kicked a lot. Now, mm-hmm. Wales have never really had the massive players. So Gatlin's always used this kicking tactic, but we've never been a particularly big team. But we've always been fairly mobile. So it's always worked quite well with us. And I think as well, I wonder if one of the other things that's the issue with that is that there's no rugby league defence coach because the biggest thing in rugby league is kick chase. Like the every time you see in rugby league is the kick's only as good as the chase. And I think maybe we've lost that a little bit because he's had Sean Edwards do it for Wales. He's had Farrell do it with the Lions in the past who very much, that's the ethos with it. And then we've got Tandy in there this time. And I wonder if it's that slightly different mentality that's gone to it. But the selection just seems wrong to me. Like if if you're going to kick chase, then surely you want players who can run for 80 minutes constantly. You're going to keep putting pressure on, keep making those high up tackles. Whereas we've gone, like... Courtney Laws is fast and he hits hard, right? But I don't think he's a constant back and forth runner. He he's a got, big he guy. hasn't got the guile, has he? Yeah. I think that's the problem. And then we've gone, so like, we've picked big players in places where you go, well, if you're chasing the ball, why the fuck do we need him there? And I don't think we've quite worked out what our tactics are in line with the selections we're making. See, this is a reason why I was slightly surprised that Navidi hasn't had a run out yet. Yeah. Because, we- like you see, we in terms of the kick, you, you see your, your kick and your chase, as, as I totally agree with that. But one thing South Africa also have is big, massive fuckers. Now they, you know, especially up against their front row, their front row is not mobile at all. 
if you've got someone who's quick and sharp, in Tan Burn especially, I would have had Burn and Navidi in there at six and seven because they'll 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 chase well, they'll hunt down, but they're the kind of players where as soon as a man's isolated, they will jackal and they'll win that ball, they'll win turnover ball, and something the Lions haven't done this to her is turnover ball because by the time they're getting to the rook, it's too late because you've got the likes of you've got the likes of Curry, you've got the likes of Laws, they're coming in, but they're two or three yards behind because they haven't got the legs in them to chase. They've already got that powerful hit into the rook. Now and I'm sorry, I don't care how big and how strong you are, but if you're running in and you've got someone like Etzebeth over that ball, you're not shifting them. You're just not shifting them. The only way you're competing with Etzebeth is if you're getting there a yard before he does. Yeah. You know, and I just kind of feel like well, in terms of kick chase, we've always kind of been on the back foot because we've would really lacking that mobility, especially around the six, seven, eight. I just don't think there's been anywhere near as mobile enough. It's quite interesting, though, isn't it? When you because you look at that second test and you go, whatever it was, twenty-seven nine, was it at the end? I think, and you go, well, that was a beatdown. It was, but if Bigger kicked that difficult kick at about sixty minutes, we would have been a point ahead because it was eleven nine. It would have become twelve nine. And at that point, you're thinking, well, how is this a successful? tactic because our strategy because we haven't really done anything we've kicked a lot of ball we haven't passed much we haven't done much but we're one point ahead with 20 minutes to go and as with the first test you're then thinking well this is when we can maybe push on ahead and, and take advantage of the tied opposition and I think that I think that it's, it's sometimes tempting to look at the final score which it was a bit hard to believe that the Lions just let it go that much with 20 minutes to go um well actually it was a relatively successful first hour and i do but i, I do agree with you Gav. i think the the selections it's kind of a mixed bag because it's somewhere between because for example you could just go big heavy you know you could go ty burn at six who i know is not massive but you know he, he's he's that kind of third lock situation you could go potentially navid at seven and then Fallow Tower 8. Um, or you could go really kind of flighty, and you could have Navidia at 6, Watson at 7, um, potentially Koning, or even Cully at 8. And so there's a lot of variations, but it's fallen between two, sto- uh, well, what's the term? Stools, uh, yeah. where you've got like, some of them are built for uh, man-to-man, beat the box phys- physically. And then some are let's play a bit and let's thung around a bit. And I think that's been the confusion and it just looked like they're playing slightly confused. Yeah, I, th- I think personally, uh, looking, looking at it now as well, obviously hindsight's 2020, but I think there's been two big issues, two, two glaring issues surrounding two Welsh players. I think the first issue has been, I, I, I don't see why he hasn't been playing Falatel. Because you know when you're scrubbing down against South Africa, you're going to come under pressure at least sort of two or three times a game. And they're going to come at you because they're a big, powerful unit. And I think what they have as well is they have that power on the bench so they can make they can change an entire front row and they don't actually lose anything by changing that entire front row. 
They've still got that power and they've still got that drive. Someone who's very, very good at picking the ball off the back of a scrum and doing something with it is Toby Falatau. Sorry, yeah. Toby Falatau. He's probably the best in the world at doing that. But I think what that does is it gives you an edge, and we saw it a lot in the Six Nations, is he gives you a quick first phase ball off the back of the scrum because he can pick it, he can drive you forward, get you just over the gain line, but your back rows know that he's picking it up. The, the scrum off's not there. They know that he's making the call to pick that ball out because they've seeded ground. So straight away they're in, they back over the ball, and then you can build a play off that. And when you watch Wales, we do it an awful lot. And that's mainly because we haven't got a fantastic scrum. But a lot of our play is based off the fact that Falatau will come off the back, you'll take, you'll take first phase contact, but he's taking it close to the scrum. But it, it it scrambles the other team at least because they, you know, if you think he's, even if he's making two or three yards, their locks and they or whoever's getting in around the ball have to then turn around back on themselves and come back through the gate. So it's a lot more difficult for them to get over the ball. So it almost guarantees yourself second phase ball. I think that's a problem. And I think another thing that's got at them is I think that they pinned a lot on George North working at centre because you see the way the ball goes up and the kick chase and stuff and I think that's why Daly played there in the first test it was like we had they had a plan of George North was going to be 13 and then that went and it was kind of shit we haven't really thought about a plan B thrown Daly in there and went fuck that's just not worked and then they're, they're trying to figure it out on the hoof because there doesn't seem to be another player who can play in that 13 channel who can play with that up and under ball as well as what George North was doing the back end of last season for Wales? I, I do think there's a few of the injuries that have cost them dear. There's a few players that have missed out that you think, yeah, they really would have made a difference to this team. Uh, when Jones sausage back in on, on Saturday, I think could end up being a massive one because... The loose heads have been killed in the scrum so far. Both the starting loose heads got absolutely mm-hmm. murdered. But you've also got that added edge of, like you said, he competes at the ruck. The number of times he was the first man at the ruck in the Six Nations was unbelievable. So I think he's going to be massive to come back in there. I mean, I don't want to make it fucking all Welsh, but like Tipperick as well is a huge loss. Like that's a massive player yeah. to miss out on and completely changes the balance of that back row. For me, I I think we don't even have a discussion about who's your starting seven if Tipperick is fit. Because no, he offers he, height as well. He yeah, offers a competitive height. Yeah, and then you've got another line of jumper when he's I I think we've massively missed Tipperick as well. So I mean it's one of those, whether you you know, you made up of four fucking nations, you should be able to three or four injuries you should be able to carry on and still have a, have a well, plan there's a few bizarre like I know Mark had a, had a decent uh, showing off the bench in the first test but should Marco be there Courtney Laws had a good half hour in the first test but really has he done anything over the past week people talk about people going in with credit in the bank and things like fuck it I think Owen Farrell's cutting into his overdraft with Gatland by now because he's been fucking shocking oh, also. fucking been awful every year but so, again, you know, just to look back on the height issue as well, Jack Ryan's another one. Like, surely he would have been worth taking just on the off chance. 
James Ryan. James Ryan, sorry, yeah, I'm thinking of <laughs> Jack Ryan. What's that? A, is that a film or something? Yes, uh, yeah. Ah, it is, isn't it? I, I mean, no, it would have been a yeah. bold call. It's a bold selection. Yeah, no, sorry. James Ryan, sorry. Yeah, once I get my head in here. Look, I'm on heavy pain till I let me off. <laughs> is it? But James Ryan, again, he was just fucking massive. And like, you know, is he is he the best option available? I know he was, he's injured, but it's like... Could he have chanced him? Because he wasn't even in, you know, didn't he get injured after he was, wasn't selected yeah, or was, whatever? He's, he's played, was, he played for Yeah, it was conspicuous. But again, yeah, like Adam Beard, he's been, he's barely been given a sniff and I'm just looking at it. And then you look at it in the second half last week. So that was just like, yeah, we've got like, three blokes who are six foot eight sat on the bench here why don't we just put them on and we'll just beast them in the line out and that's all they did because we're so one-dimensional in the line out it's unbelievable Lou Diaga looked very good when he came on for for the Springboks to be fair to him Uh, but I I get what Sam's saying as well like I think well all all the way through this like we've it's keeping a sense of perspective it's very easy to lose at least like Sam's like an hour in the Lions are still very much in it. So we're talking about it as this, like, oh, they were, it was decimated. But realistically, you know, at the turning point of an hour, the Lions are still very much in that game and possibly could take the lead. It's been the same in the build-up to it with the fucking Razzie stuff. I've seen someone saying about how oh, this is like, oh, it's awful and it's the death of rugby. And thing. But like, 2009 wasn't far off the same. Like, we had an eye gouge there was a shoulder charge which led to a ban because Adam Jones instigated his shoulder. Peter De Villiers is slagging off the IRB. The South Africa got fined for bringing the game into disrepute. And the, the justice for Baki's fucking armbands that they had on and stuff. So, like, it's all stuff we've seen before. And I think it's kind of the same with this. Like, yeah, okay, it's a convincing scoreline to South Africa. But they're the fucking world champions as well. Like they, they, I know they haven't played for a, for a little while, but they are still the reigning best team in the fucking world. Yeah, yeah. I saw someone uh, on Twitter um, who won a World Cup. Uh, this person uh, or coached into a, into a World Cup win, say <laughs> that um, say that Gatland was a disgrace and it was a, a, it was a, a disgraceful performance, or you know it was a, whatever it was. And do you think? The Lions won the first test. They won the first test against the World Champions, and they were in the game with twenty minutes to go, or they were, you know, they were two points behind with twenty minutes to go against the World Champions. It, it's tempting to be like, well, I don't, I don't know how tempting it actually is to go. Oh, we should just win all these games because it wouldn't be very interesting if there was a Lions tour where you just walked in and won all the games. Yeah, and it's, you just look at the, um, yeah, I think I do think there's some perspective, which is. It's not that bad. Like that second test was boring, admittedly, um, and it wasn't very, you know, it, it ended poorly. But the Lions have won all against the World Champions, um, and that's something to. I do think that's quite a big thing to kind of bear in mind. Um, and it's all on the line on Saturday. You know, it's it's we've we've actually got a a pretty big, you know, a, a big game to come. And I think we might see it open up a little bit more as well for our third test. I think we will so. see it quite yeah. so rock and sock em. I Talking about uh, people coaching people at the World Cups, I did like 
Clive Woodward giving advice on how to win Lions Test Series, <laughs> including uh, what, what Gatlin needs to do is uh, open up and be less conservative from 10. You know, you pick Johnny Wilkinson and Stephen Jones in the same fucking team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's been the hot take, isn't it? The hot take is, oh, just move the ball wide. Yeah. Just, just, just throwing down the outside them. As if, mm. as if Gatlin's going, oh, Oh shit! Okay, we yeah, we can just do that. Actually, let's yeah. just do that. Let's just not get tackled because they haven't got anything win. really out wide in fucking Cheslin Colby and Mbappé. Like, yeah, what exactly. are they offering? Yeah, and yeah. they've got they haven't got one of the best centres in the world uh, blitzing out and stopping them yeah. from going wide. There's, there's yeah, there's none of that. I mean, it's a bit silly, really. Actually, they should. Why haven't they just gone wide and scored in the corner? Lazy. What, what, what I will say is as well for everyone's had the hot takes, and I think we can all kind of agree that. There was a few mistakes in that, in the selection and the tactics last week. And I saw it on Twitter someone said, "Is Gatlin? Gatlin's one of those coaches where he'll be wrong, but very rarely will he follow it up by being wrong again." Yeah, yeah. You know he is. You know, no matter what your opinion on him is, he is a fucking good coach, and I like miss- he had, he has had wheels within a couple of times within like. A ball's hair of being in like World Cup finals, which all due respect, we should never like. We shouldn't be near those those kind of you know. We shouldn't even be within a shout of getting a World Cup finals. And there's a couple of times where, for a bit bad bit of luck or a couple of injuries or whatever, as we would have been there. So, you know, he'll like you say, he doesn't get it wrong twice in a row very often. Unless you watch the first year of uh, Super Rugby Aratoroa, you got it wrong pretty much every week. <laughs> but, but Super Rugby's uh, yeah. Super Rugby's a different kind uh, of fish, isn't it? Yeah, like, I don't. It wasn't even obviously. I mean, that just... Super Rugby's fucking mental. If you come in on a Saturday night and you don't get in till like four or five o'clock, if you watch Super Rugby, pissed. Oh yeah, fucking hell! Like you actually start to get. You get motion sickness of it because it's just the balls just like your head's like that fucking all over trying to watch it on the screen. It's ridiculous. Super rugby. I can't watch it. It makes me feel ill. I find it quite dull. I, I find one of those. Things, I know this is sacrilege, but it's one of those things that someone put out a. Um, uh, this was a couple of years ago, now, I think. But they were saying that the first, what happens in Super Rugby is you watch your first three weeks religiously and you think this is this is yeah. the best thing I've ever seen. And then you get to about six six weeks in and you've started dropping games off and you're not watching as many. And then about halfway through the season, you've got no idea what's happening because you, you you know you just don't watch anymore. And then you watch the finals. And I do think it's 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 one of the things that if you're up at that time, stick it on and have a watch. But it's just so foreign in terms of it's just there's no tackling. It's up and down, up and down. It, it's a certain type of rugby. But it's one that I think I, I don't have the quite the patience to watch a whole as, season of it. As someone once explained Super Rugby to me as it's a mixture of good players playing bad rugby and bad players being good rugby, and in turn it just makes this soup of like insanity because it does like you see you see players you've never heard of doing absolutely ridiculous shit. And then you see players who should be doing ridiculous shit, like making the most rudimentary mistakes every single week, but still getting picked because they were like they're an all black fifty, you know, whatever. And it's just the whole thing's just fun. 
I just think it's mental. It's fantastic. I love well, it. I, I, I treat it like Sam is kind of like doing uh, fantasy football. I treat <laughs> fantasy football the same way. For five weeks, fantasy football is the best thing that could happen to me this year. By week six or seven, I'll occasionally make a transfer. By the time we reach week 18, I can't even remember who's in my fucking team. I don't, I don't know. It could yeah. be anyone. Yeah. It happens with all all those sports. Every, every year, I think, you know what? I'm really actually going to start following X, whatever that might be. And in the past, it's been a full baseball season, some cricket, some um, some basketball or whatever. And the only one I've got close to is the netball uh, last season, was it, I think, where it was on Sky and I was like, it's actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And then I I made it basically three quarters of the way through the season and then I was slightly losing interest. But it's just, it's so long. Like the whole uh, whole season of anything is so long that even even rugby that I like about halfway through, I think, oh, if it just ended now, I wouldn't. Like, I, I, I had no interest in the Rainbow Cup last year because I was just thinking, just end it. Like, just, just you know, let's just call it quits now and we'll just... We'll just do other stuff with our life. The I'm the same way that with was. netball is this too much whistling. Like yeah, it is a bit whistle heavy. It's not yeah. a fucking rave. Just chill yeah. out. Yeah. We'll play some netball. It's also it's whistle then. Anything. <laughs> I don't I don't know what that accent <laughs> was. Yeah. And then by about twenty games in you think, oh, I think I've I think I've got what you're whistling for. Yeah, it is a bit whistle heavy. In in terms of getting into seasons though and dropping out, that's just me every season with Sunland. So I'm all right. Like <laughs> I spend six or seven games saying, No, I'm gonna be all right this season. And then after about twelve games, you actually know fucking shite. And then the rest of the time you're just there, like, when will this end? Not like, so much sungling till I die, more sungling till I sleep. Yeah, it's yeah, like a board. It's genuinely like obviously the, the last year we've not been able to go to matches. As soon as the season card renewal was one, I was like, can't wait to get me season ticket. I'm going back. And our last was like, but you've actually enjoyed, like, you've barely watched any of the Sunderland games. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, that's why I'm going back. She, why? Because you're not watching them. He's like, no, because it's not actually the football I've missed. It's the going to the match I've missed. Like, if I want to watch a decent game of football, I'll flick BT Sport on when the Champions League's on or put Friday Night Football on. But, for an event, I'm going to the match. Well, but I've been trying to do the Formula One as well. And oh, I'm, I can't do that shit. Saying, can't do it. What I end up doing is, because my mates are desperately trying to get me into it, I watch every race religiously for the first five laps. And if there's no crashes, <laughs> I switch it off. I know for safety reasons, we had to stop the crashes. But it was so much more exciting when you thought people might oh, crash. Fucking bend. I, I quite like the Formula One. Uh, and I've, I've slowly got more into it as each season's gone on. But I, I like all the tactical and technical and all that kind of stuff. But there's a bit where you look, where it starts and they go, oh, the weather's great. And you think, oh, the weather's thunderstorms and rain and, and ice on the circuit. And then it turns out what they mean by great is actually it's just nice. It's, it's just yeah, a nice day. Sunny. <laughs> yeah. And you think, that's not what I want. I want, I want, you know, I want hail. Yeah. It's... It... The problem with the Formula One is sadly is like the other week the whole Hamilton Verstappen thing and it was like they just hit each other and they crashed and he's like oh no 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 you can't do that and it's like well what's the point in having a race when if two people are actually racing and then you tell them off for racing that's why it's like the good old days like, of touring cars and if you bump the guy off and the two of you they 
you'd have a good dust up after the, yeah. the two people just fisty cuffs in the pit lane after a race and then they get back into it they shake hands yeah, just, carry on I, I didn't get it I didn't get it it's almost as pointless as like Faf de Klerk picking fights with four lads <laughs> you know I come back to it it's my favourite thing but it's the most like because he must do it and it's like well you're not going to hit him he's not going to hit you all you're going to do is pull on each other's shirt a bit. Someone bigger than you is going to go, just leave it. He's not worth it, Faf. And then that's it. And then you fuck off. And it's like, you've wasted everyone's time. <laughs> and so now we've dragged you back around to Rugby Sevo. So we, we'll have a quick prediction of our uh, who you think is going to win the, the third test before we go into our winners and wankers to wrap it all up. So, uh, Sam, who are you going for? Um... Lions by five. I think. I think it'll be more open. I think. Uh, I, I. I think basically, if the so this this my prediction has got two two ways. I'm basically covering all bases with this. If the, <laughs> it's like Nigel Owens when they throw yeah. in for a TMO decision in easy. Yes. Like, well, well, it could be this. I could think be this is a try, but then then it might not be a might try. Not be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm 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 doing that. I'm just not getting paid as much as, yeah. as he is. Either um, team's going to win, and if neither team wins, they'll draw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think that um, if the South African front row gets substituted before minute 50, we win. Uh, if it's after minute 50, I think we lose. Uh, but overall, I'm going lines by, by what did I say, five. Yeah. Tom? I'm going four. I think the Lions will do it. Do I wouldn't like to see by how many because I think it may even come down to two or three points could well be tight. Uh, but I think if the Lions do win, I think the post-match interview will be Alan Wynne Jones retiring. I think if the Lions win, I think he'll do. Yeah, I've won. That's me out. Mic drop. Fuck off. Because he's not one for fanfare. He's not going to. There's one thing he's not going to do is he's not going to tell the world he's retiring before his last game. His last game, he'll just come out and go, that's me last game. And I think if you win a series as a Lions captain, that's probably going to be the pinnacle of his career because I don't think there's anywhere else to go apart from that. And he's the kind of man where we know that. So I think if Lions win, Alan Wynne Jones is done. I think that's it. Uh, I think uh, surely the next place for him is to be the first winner of the Ultimate Rugby Fighting Championship. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I was all, I thought a Springboks win right up until I seen the Lions selection today and I'm going to flip around his head and I'm going to go Lions by eight. I think think they're going to open up a little bit more and I think it's going to, not massively so, I'm not expecting this virtual fin sanity that some people are calling for in the last 20 minutes where we're just going to go out and throw the ball around like Michael Jordan in fucking what's the basketball one called? Uh, Space, Space Jam. Jam. Yeah. I, I'm not expecting that kind of fucking nonsense but I just think we'll we'll open up a little bit, play a little bit faster. I think Liam Williams cut the line's going to help a little bit more as well because we've been killed a little bit in the centres. So yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Lions. I'm going to go by eight. I'm gonna I'm gonna say more than just edging it. Having having said South Africa all fucking <laughs> 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 I 
I'm changing my mind at the end. So we'll finish off on our, our winners and wankers. We'll start with wankers. So uh, who's your wanker, Tom? My wanker is he's a Durham mag. So the worst kind of person in the world. Uh, Darren Grimes is my wanker oh, of the week. Yes. Uh, I think it takes a real special talent to be as wrong as he is on a consistent basis. But when you are picking a fight with a Lifeboat Institute, <laughs> charity funded, <laughs> and their, their MO is purely to save all lives at sea, and you're essentially telling them to let people drown, you've got to be a bit of a dick. <laughs> Take like, a sec. You know what I mean? I, I mean, imagine like you're on a little dinghy or something. See, you've gone full Freddie Flint off, right? Or like you're on your little pedal and you're in Spain or something. And a lifeguard comes down and goes, You all right, mate? And you're like, No, I'm fucking stuck. Where are you from? England. Sorry, mate, you'll have to drown. Turns out, like, you know what I mean? What's that? You're from Syria? Nah, you can just fucking drown, mate. Kind of cracks that. That's a great joke. That's yeah. my favorite one. Fucking one Stop picking on the lifeboats, and if you can, donate the lifeboats because they're fucking brilliant. Um, Sam, your your wanker. This might be other Pete wanker, but it's uh, it's uh, everyone's favourite award-winning journalist Stephen Jones, who um, who had a pop at um, uh, everyone's favourite long jumper, uh, Greg Loverfoot. Uh, Greg put a thing on Twitter about how it was difficult to. Yeah, how he he emphasized, thank you, with the uh, (laughs) with with the athletes who he was interviewing. I think for the BBC, um, when they were you know finishing out the medals or when they thought they were going to wing in second or third, and I thought it was a really nice uh, tweet about about that. And then uh, Stephen Jones just responded or or quote tweeted and said, uh, "It's it's your job. Get on with it." Um, so it was good to know that he's consistently abelling in other sports. It's not just <laughs> that we suffer from him in this. I think what's interesting is actually just before this, I went for a little walk and I was listening to a very good podcast, which will appeal to the small Venn diagram crossover of rugby fans and cycling fans called Life in the Peloton, which is presented by... Um, uh, Oh my god, I forgot his name. Um, give me one second. It is presented by an Aussie fella uh, who likes for you were the Australian animal Steve Irwin. It wasn't. It was I got the bad other. news for you. Yeah, the, the... <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, Mitchell Docker. Mitchell Docker. There you go. Some seamless. Um, and he's a current professional, um, but uh, the trying to end this season. And he's he, he has this podcast for a couple of years where he speaks to professional cyclists and he went on the tour this year as a journalist basically because that's what he's transitioning into after the finishes and um he they were saying how many more people chatted to him because he was a uh ex-pro they saw him as a mate and they were much more open and much more willing to chat to him and that i, I felt like just pointing this out to Stephen jones is that you know greg lovefree has been there he's done it and yeah. He, I'm not actually much of a fan of you have to have done something to do the job, but I do think that emphasize, emphasize. <laughs> What's the word you get? 
show empathy. Empathy, showing empathy uh, to to people, and you know, not being a a typical journalist is probably a good trait. Yeah, I agree. And he put out something else as well this week to do with Brexit. I can't remember what that one was. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's gone beyond rugby into sport and politics. He's also a dickhead. So I think we might be fair saying he's an all round wanker. Yep. Bat in bowling and fielding. He's an all round Yeah, all round wanker was the gymnastics event that didn't didn't make it, was it? Uh, my, My wankers for this week are. The dickheads on social media, and I will, I will emphasize the actual dickheads. There's loads of great, like people need to realize that, like, if you go into people from from a different podcast, will know all about going into your local rugby club. And if you go into your local rugby club, there's always a couple of people in there who are dickheads, and you just don't talk to those people. Like you know who they are. You seen them mate, last week when you're in the rugby club. They're the ones who spout on about rugby in the 80s and how he used to be. And now they need to bring rucking back and don't worry about people's heads and shit. And you sit in the other side of the room to them and you sit with all the people that you have a conversation with week in, week out. And it's a kind of the same with social media. Like it's great to connect. And sometimes your friends will bring in other friends and you can have a drink and you go, yeah, he's a good guy. But sometimes you've got to avoid the dicks that you know are dicks. And when they start being dicks, you go, yeah, I'm ignoring you, mate. I'm muting that conversation or I'm muting you or I'm blocking you. And I think... We we all sometimes need to learn to do that a little bit better. Last night I had a little a little thing because someone I replied to someone with a joke and then they kept going for ages and I kept it going. But without I mean I was quite enjoying myself if I'm honest, especially because he kept going on about how shit Britain is and how bad it is and how how Britain. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm fucking I agree with you. Yeah, hundred percent. I hate the politics. I hate the history. I hate, tell me how quick shit the Queen is as well. We'll go fucking full on if you like. Yeah, <laughs> like, keep having to go up Britain. I'm Welsh. I don't give a shit. So yeah, there's but there's been a lot of people on social media who've been having to go at people and especially people who are, are quite big on there and quite personable and will have conversations with just about anybody on there and people are taking advantage of that by trying to be dickheads towards them and it just makes it more difficult for people like that who are doing like I'm going to tell you Robbie Squidge has taken so much shit like we know how much Squidge puts into his videos like the guy barely eats or sleeps because he's so committed to getting a video out between tests Whereas, like, I'll do this podcast and then most will go up unedited because I'll get 10 minutes in and I'll think, ah, fuck it, there was nothing in there worth cutting out, I'll just put it up. Like, whereas Squidge will stay awake until fucking four in the morning to make sure he's listened to it all in minute detail and cut it down to the tenth of a second where somebody coughed. Like, yeah, just stop being dickheads because you're ruining it for yourself because it just means that people like that, people who are good to talk to and speak to on there, will just stop speaking on there and then you've ruined it for everyone. So just fucking grow up. And wise up, and we can all move on with our lives. Uh, we'll move on to winners so we can end on an happy note. Uh, Mike, Mike, quickly, I'll do my winners this week. Uh, were Ruby Tui and Ilona Ma because of the they've put women's rugby in the spotlight a little bit without even really trying. Like, I hate certain players that get thrown in a spotlight repeatedly in men's rugby because they're big personalities and then what you find out is once they've been on the telly twice is oh yeah that's actually what they mean by big personalities is a prick um and they weren't and they've both been great and so it's been great for them for jazz joyce because i've just enjoyed watching her um your winners this week sam uh so my winners are carl sinclair and Arden Bird, who and this feels like a long time ago especially for sinclair 
weren't selected to go on the tour um, and now both feature in the in the deciding test squad and almost certainly you'd imagine we're, we're getting. I think um, uh, oh, I think it's, it shows quite a few things. First of all, it shows just how fine the margins are. Um, but then secondly, I think it's useful for for kind of, especially younger kids who, who unfortunately have to go through the whole um, uh, academy system and all that kind of stuff, which is that if you just keep at something and if you kind of, if you're good enough, uh, or if you just enjoy it, just keep doing it. Because yeah. in the case of Sinclair and Beard, it must have been unbelievably frustrating not to go on that tour. And now they've obviously been picked, which, you know, you have to get a little bit fortunate or you have to have other people's misfortune to do that. Um, but then crucially, uh, they've turned up and they've been good in training because it would have been perfectly understandable to have gone there and gone, well, I'm just holding tackle bags and I'm, and they are self-isolating for two weeks, but they've clearly turned up in South Africa with the best attitude and are now featuring prominently in that in that deciding test. So I think I think they're my winners. Even bigger with Beard, obviously, that he had kind of fallen out of favour with Wales as well, like a year ago. Yeah. Pivak had come in and decided that he wasn't sure he was the right guy and he, he didn't make the, the squad now looks absolutely vital to Wales and he said to be involved in this third test it's absolutely what a turnaround in a year just from having that attitude of well prove me I'll prove you wrong and then yeah. Sinclair, Sinclair openly came out and said that well you know I've, I've got a couple of weeks to prove him wrong and call me up and yeah that's he exactly did. what he's done I think as well with um just very briefly on that I mean I know that Wayne Jones was selected from the start but you just look at him and you think he's a player of the year isn't he really I mean he's yeah. he's come from not quite nowhere, but you know, near enough to be just absolutely crucial. And so I can see dragging him in as well, but I think you know it's best to keep them a bit separate, big and simple for the fact that they weren't selected, but made it anyway. Yeah. And Tom, you're winning to round us off. Right. I'm I'm gonna break the rules. I've got three. I've got one rugby related and another one. So I'll go for me rugby related one first, if you don't mind. Yeah. He's damn bigger. Yeah. Named in all three tests, he's had a hell of a year. Uh, I think the the things he's had to go through this year have been well documented in the press before the Lions tour. Um, I think we can all say that his mother would be immensely proud that not only has he had a year where he's won the Six Nations, he's been fantastic, but he is going to be a three times Lions 10. Um, and I think it... It is worth noting that to start three tests on a single Lions tour means you're doing something incredibly well, and he's been brilliant the first two games. So I'm hoping, really, really hoping that he's is good in the third test because I think he's been criminally underrated this year. I think he's been criminally underrated a majority of his career, and I think to win a Six Nations and to start three Lions tests after the year he's had has shown some absolutely incredible mental fortitude um, and the other is Mustaz Barsham and John Marco Tamberi Sharon Gold in the Olympics just think that is incredible sportsmanship just out this world for all I love the shit house and all the rest of it and then don't think anything typifies the Olympic spirit quite like two friends competing against each other for nine, I think it was over two hours in the high jump identical jumping records and rather than 
have somebody ultimately fail and be heartbroken that decided that it meant more to share an Olympic gold than it would be to not do it. And that's the first time an Olympic medal has been shared since 1912. So I think that's incredible. I do. I love that stat as well. Mm. Actually, so the other Titanic went down, 1912. 1914, I think. I think I it's remember. 1912. I think 1912, and I think Barnsley won the FA Cup. And I thought those two stats are right as well. I literally just got married in a hotel dedicated <laughs> to the entire fucking thing. Like, the museum was in front of me. But no, um, the, interestingly, the whole thing is because I had a look at it because it's interesting. Um. The 1912 was a case of, I can't remember what sport, but there was two Japanese athletes and they were exactly tied on whatever they were doing. They had the same record. Um, and what they did was they, they didn't have any procedure for if two, players, uh, two athletes were tied. So what they did was they asked the Japanese coaches to decide who they thought over the coaching period deserved a gold medal. And the athletes didn't agree. So what they done was they got the silver medal and the gold medal, cut them in half and fused them together. So there was two Olympic medals that were half silver, half gold. That's amazing. My kids would still argue over who got the one that was gold on the left and who got the one that was gold on the right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good fact. All right, Titanic 1912 and Barnsley won the FA Cup in 1912. Yeah. Like, don't ask me. That's a childhood misspent. <laughs> I can't believe it. I've literally spent a fucking week in a hotel dedicated to that fucking shit. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, on that note, compared, this will be right. we were already talking about how, because I was going to put a Titanic question in with the quick fires, because M went, you done some of the Titanic, didn't they, out there? Um, I did lots of the Titanic. <laughs> um, so, on that note, I think it's a good place to leave your voice. It's been absolutely great talking to you both. So, this is where I usually thanks thank Wally for recording but fuck him don't know myself um, so thanks Tom for being here thank you and very thank much you. for having me and listening to my uh, drug field waffle it's been absolutely <laughs> great thanks man and thank you Sam for giving your time up yeah thank you very much for having me it's been great and I, I said it last time and it took you long enough but I'd love to have you back on again and thanks to everyone for listening cheers thanks boys bye cheers Sports Social Podcast Network Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.